Hey guys, and welcome to Muscles and Medicine Podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Aaron. In this episode, we're going to be talking about kind of finding the right balance between cardio and weight training. I see a lot of guys go into one extreme or the other for whatever reason. We're going to kind of talk about the benefits of each and what the pitfalls might be if you really went to one extreme or the other. I'm also going to touch on the importance of workout intensity and proper recovery after a very intense workout. Last thing we're going to touch on today is going to be the role of nutrition and gut health and how to maintain overall health by managing your gut health. All right, let's start with the question, though. So, Joe, if you had to eat the same cheat meal for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Only one thing. Could I say, like, homemade breakfast food? Or is that just, is that too, fine, yeah. Is that too broad? Well, I mean, well I'll say give, breakfast food. Give Let, me five breakfast foods that you'd have at the table you gotta have biscuits and gravy on there it's okay. a staple that counts as one okay so we got biscuits and gravy choice of meat i think uh i think bacon i like sausage most times but i tell you i think bacon i, I can do more with it i don't know okay bacon um maybe some like hash brown casserole some plain hash brown some standardized some form of hash brown you're at three the other two, man, I don't eggs. Know. Gotta have, some eggs. Eggs on There's eggs. four. Wow, look at a bodybuilder right. on here. I'm like, no protein. You know? um, what's your fifth? Man, I think those four would do it for me. I could just do those, uh, maybe like French toast. But I've already got the the bread from the biscuits and gravy. You don't do biscuits and gravy and French toast. It's a cheat meal. You do what it you is, want. It is a cheat meal. That's fair. All right. So, what about you? I think if I had to choose one cheat meal for the rest of my life. I would probably choose like unlimited sushi. I was going to say sushi. Unlimited Aaron, though, like listen. whatever I wanted, but it had to be like quality rolls. I don't want like. Like one of the like sushi buffets where it's <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. We're talking like high dollar rolls, as many as I can eat in listen, one sitting. We would go out during Aaron's prep and we would get like, we'd go to Masa over here in London and I'd order like two or three. Everybody else at the table orders two and three. He would pull up his notes section in his phone and he'd be like, um. I'm going to have several. Um, you might want to start a new page. <laughs> no, I really did. I told him, I was like, yeah, you might want to start a new page. And I had eight rolls saved and I would get the same eight every time. So that would be super consistent because I was in prep. So I knew that variable wasn't changing. Sure. So that week, if I didn't lose as much, I was like, well, it wasn't the sushi because it stayed the same. Um, but yeah, I know there were some very, very angry um sushi chefs over there they always seem so like salty whenever we came because we tipped well too and you know we didn't ask for much just top off the water and bring our 84 rolls and yeah. that's yeah no joke fine. we would order like if there was five of us going we would legit order 30 rolls see sushi's a cheat meal that i pushed to a lot of my clients is that something that like you do and do you give like parameters on it so with mine i'm like okay these digest really well with me i will just stay away from like the like deep fried rolls obviously yeah in prep i do i try to give parameters but out of prep no i'm like just go get what you want don't overeat and if i see someone or if i know i have someone's macros at a point where they'll be losing then they should be losing and they're not uh then i'll start kind of adjusting their cheat meal to what i need it to be Derek, do you have a cheat meal of choice that you would uh you kind of have for the rest of your life what would it be so honestly i'm a big fan of tacos okay and it's because just like sushi you can change it up that's fair. you can have steak chicken shrimp tacos are a big favorite of mine of course of course and of course with my uh hot sauce that i make phantom hot sauce so. well, shout out phantom yeah. hot sauce it is grand plug. So yeah, that's that's my go-to, and I feel like you just can't go wrong with it. Absolutely, I like it. Tacos is that's a really good choice actually, because you can mix and match whatever you want. Like 
that's a really good choice. On a side note, it is so easy to have to like make like healthy Mexican food. It's just like you can just cut out like queso and like you know get like a healthier tortilla or something like that, and like you can like cut out all the good stuff. I mean, queso. I mean, sure, like no, I mean, no, you really can though. Like you can do reasonably healthy Mexican food very, that's what very I'm easily. Just like get away from like all the like you know like. I don't know, pay attention to the way that they cook the meat, things of that nature. You know what I'm saying? Use some like leaner sources. Regardless, we're rambling. We stuck on that for a little bit too long. Guys, let's dive into it. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit today about the benefits of or kind of compare between cardio and weight training. So like I mentioned in the intro, I see a lot of people that like to dive really hard into like all cardio or all weights and they don't have that blend. Uh, real quick, Aaron, like how often do you see something like this and what would be just, I don't know, we'll start with cardio to begin with. What would be something you would touch on for somebody that's just like strictly on cardio all the time? So yeah, I always encourage everyone to do weight training. And I think kind of what we go back to last episode, you have people who are cardio, 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 and it's mostly women because they don't want to get bulky. When in reality, like, like we talked about last time, the more muscle you have, the higher your uh, BMR. Sure. When you do that cardio, the more fat you're going to be able to burn. Um, so that's something I try to mention to to everyone. But on the contrary, I see a lot of more people avoiding cardio because of the fear of losing muscle. And that's in men mostly. Um, for example, I had a client start a while back, and I was told him, I was like, man, we're going to have to do some cardio. He, he was wanting to get shredded, and he was like, man, I don't know about cardio. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm afraid. I don't want to lose the muscle I've gained. And I was like, dude, you won't. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, I do this for a living. I'm sure. Like, you, I will make your food, your protein intake high enough that 20 minutes of cardio a day is not going to hurt you. Absolutely. And I think this surprises a lot of the guys that I work with where they'll come to me and they'll want to go into a growth phase and we'll still have cardio in there. We'll still have a step goal. And I'm like, okay, well, the first reason is digestion. Like, you yep. think about, like, you're going to be pushing, like, an egregious amount of calories. Like, if you're completely sedentary, that's going to be hard. You're going to experience right. bloating it's going to be it's going to be a little bit of a, a grind for you so just for digestion purposes we add that in there but like you said it's something that guys that are really serious about holding a lot of muscle they kind of want to they kind of want to stray away from but uh, some of the like just talking about like i know you mentioned women that want to do cardio all the time but i mean we see a lot of guys especially like athletic types that you know maybe they are distance runners or this that the other they don't want to do a whole lot of weight training because they're afraid that adding that much muscle would be detrimental right, right. and i see that to a point i mean you don't want to be <clears throat> like me trying to run a cross-country race it's sure. not that's not optimal i think however weight training the right way would be extremely beneficial for these people you know stronger muscles muscles that have more endurance you know you can never go wrong being a little bit stronger have a little bit more endurance and let's say you don't add 15 or 20 pounds of muscle let's say you add a couple pounds of muscle but if you're adding two pounds of lean muscle tissue in my eyes you're going to be able to push yourself that much harder it's going to be there when you need it i think back to so when i first got into the national guard i was probably 240 pounds i was really heavy and it was like you know, i was a no cardio weights all the time kind of guy so mm -hmm. i go and i enlist i'm in basic training and then i go to infantry school and i'm gone for six seven months i lose a lot of weight while i'm there when i came back and i joined the rotc program i started trying to put back on size so i was back home i was doing my like regular thing i wasn't running nearly as much and i remember speaking to an officer and he was like look 
there's no place in the military for you know someone who's just like a ball of muscle on yeah there. no that's true you have to be you have to be able to do a lot of things sure. you don't need to just be strong you have to be able to run you need to be able to pull yourself up out of a hole there's all kinds of things you need to be able to do that 240 were a lot harder than had you been at 215 220 absolutely but in terms of finding that balance my argument was always like okay well i feel like there's a place for if you can get the right balance between the two there's still a place for someone that's 200 to 220 pounds the military height and weight requirements are really strict and i think they're a little bit outdated so for reference i did not pass height and weight until peak week of the charlotte show this last year i had drill like Seriously? a week before i was 177 pounds i You're was six foot one six one and i'm like right at like you know, maybe what five six percent we was thinking I don't at know. that point probably six six and a half percent so right there and that was the first time Jesus. they were like i would never make i would never pass that's what i'm saying i don't think i could physically ever pass i'm six two i would have to weigh what 185 190 pounds it's ridiculous it's ridiculous. not possible that's what i'm saying so you know their requirements are a little bit outdated but you know when those came into effect it was like okay they want somebody that can run you know 100 miles this that and the other and I, my argument's always been like, I feel like the same way you would need like linemen on a football team. If they can still get where they need to go, there's a role for each of these, you know right. what I'm saying? So I think that's just kind of a good example of finding that balance. As long as you can get, you know, if you're in good health, if you are yes. doing all, if you're checking all the boxes, it's something I like to say a lot, just check all the boxes. If you're doing all those things, then it's okay to, you know, weight trains five, six days a week. If that's something you enjoy, it's okay to do cardio five, six days a week. If there's, if that's something you enjoy, but trying to find that balance, I feel like is a lot more, it's, it's more optimal. Right. And, and another thing to add about, you know, just the benefit of cardiovascular exercise, like it's called cardiovascular for a reason. It's beneficial for your heart. I know when I get really heavy, say I'm 265 and I'm not doing as much cardio, my blood pressure is much higher than when I'm at 235 and I'm doing quite a bit. And I'm not saying I'm doing two hours, but if I'm doing 30, 45 minutes of, you know, pretty moderate intensity cardio every day, my health markers improve dramatically. Sure. Um, you know, my lipid panel improves, my blood pressure improves. I feel better and I just generally feel better. I'm going to do something a little bit different. So imagine you've got a client right now that is a strict, like they're strictly about cardio. Mm -hmm. uh, well, not so make it unisex, make it like really cookie cutter right here. Okay. What would be something like you would start to do? Like, where would you start them? I, I know this is hard to say without knowing their life, this, that, and the other. What would be maybe a training style or something that you would recommend just for someone who's wanting to like venture into weight training? Maybe are you like sending them to a class? Are you just like, you know, doing like a one like full body exercise, you know, weight training day a week, an upper lower split? What would you? So realistically for someone like that, that wasn't, you know, dead set on weightlifting, mm -hmm. I would prefer to walk them through an upper body day and a lower body day mm -hmm. and have them do it, do each once a week when they wanted it's still beneficial that's better than doing none absolutely absolutely um, you know maybe something as simple as two exercises per body group sure and that's you know eight ten exercises three sets of each 10 to 12 reps very basic no right. no drop sets no three second holds you know nothing no, crazy like that. right right you don't need that at that point well like contrary to that i'll say like a lot of the clients we see this is more typical like you said earlier we'll see guys who've been in the gym for you know a long time they've put on a lot of muscle and they're scared to lose it 
what I like to do whenever I first get a client like this before I'm like, okay, I want you to like do the treadmill, this, that, and the other. I'm like, Hey man, do you have an iPhone that tracks your steps? Yes. Do you have an Apple watch that tracks your steps? Let's see where you're at right now. On, on a normal day, on a normal, on day. like a work day, your normal nine to five, whatever your job is, just a normal day, get like kind of see where they're at. Sure. And then say they're getting like for me for example i get four to five thousand steps a day at work Mm -hmm. i personally don't think that's enough for me i like to get 10 sure however some people get twenty thousand at work they may not need to do as much cardio as they need so it's it's so dependent based upon that person and their goals exactly so like what we was talking about earlier we was having a conversation in the truck when we was coming over here i say like with a lot of our plans we try to meet you where you're at yeah meet you in the middle exactly it's you know give and take on both of our parts because you know for you, the perfect client is going to be able to do everything you send them 100% all the time. Sure. But that's not reality sure. at all. So that's like uh, you know, we find out, okay, they're at that 5,000 steps in a day. You know, the daily recommended average is that 10,000 mark. That's something mm-hmm. that's, you know, the cookie cutter that I think it's the FDA likes to throw FDA on recommended. There. Exactly. And that's, you know, doubling your step count is a kind of a drastic change. So Especially like, if you're working. Too. Exactly. Like if you have a, a long day. You don't feel like going home and doing 5,000 more steps. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, we're at 5,000 right now. Let's try and get to 7,000 the next few weeks. And all that, you know, an extra 2,000 steps in a day, that could just be, okay, when I go to Kroger, I'm parking at the bottom of the parking lot. Yeah, and I do that. Like That's something I do that Tori gets mad at me about multiple times a week. I park as far away from the building if I'm not in a time crunch. Right, right. Because for me, that's 100 extra steps there, 100 extra steps back. That's 200 extra steps, which may not be much, but that adds up through the week. If you're doing that five, 10 times, there's over a thousand steps. Well, you think about how much you and I travel. We're probably going to five, six different locations in a day. You know what I'm saying? We're going to work. We're going to like the grocery store. We're going to like the different gyms. The gym. well, granted, you've got your gym at your house. Now you've cut out that. So like, I need to, I guess I need to start going to the other gym to get my steps to. in. Well, I know you still go to Planet Fitness yeah, to do your cardio. Yeah, now and then. So, I mean, like I said, meeting them halfway. So if I've got a weightlifting guy or I've got a experienced lifter and he's wanting to start trying to like focus a little bit more on his heart health, or maybe he's wanting to cut weights, that's the first place I like to look. I'm like, let's take your step goal. Let's add that right. in and then get them familiar with just like moving a little bit more. Then we can look at adding. So in if life. they're living like decently sedentary outside the gym, what's the amount of cardio you normally put in at first? Say they're doing 7,000 steps a day. So if you're at 7,000 right now, if you're a weight loss client, say whatever the case may be, like I said, we're going to add another 1,500 to 2,000 to that right there. Usually you'll start to see between like eating maintenance calories and adding in some more steps, you're going to start you're to see. You're going to start to see drops. Yeah, starting to see some drops, starting to see some things tighten up. Once we plateau right there, now we can increase a little bit because right now you're still under 10,000. Right. You're not doing mandatory cardio. And before I start to drop any food, I'm like, okay, let's start there. Let's see if we can get you just a little bit more active. So I've always, and this was something that I learned from you actually. I remember saying to Aaron in my first prep, we were, I think, two, three weeks out or something like that. And we were still right around 25, 2600 calories or something crazy mm-hmm. like that. And I remember having the conversation. I was like, man, we haven't had, you know, we haven't changed anything on my meal plan, in, you know, six, seven weeks. And you were like, you've lost one to three pounds every week. Every week. Why would we, yeah, don't change it. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I do things a little differently than you do now. Like I put everyone on three mandatory days of cardio, whether you're trying to gain weight, lose weight, no matter what. And I think it's just something as I've gotten older, like I realize how much better I feel if I'm doing three to four days. So like if you're starting with me, you're going to be doing three days of at least 20 minutes, even if you're trying to gain weight. And, and that's just my personal preference. Like it, it's completely arbitrary. It Mm -hmm. means nothing, but I just try to keep that on everyone. 
and it just keeps people honest, makes them do it. Yeah, that's fair. I think that we talk a lot about like the mental aspects of weight training, this, that, and the other. And I remember having the conversation a couple of days ago about like people who would like to train early in the mornings or train fasted. Right. I think that there's more of a psychological carryover to training early in the mornings than what there is an actual like physical benefit to it. And the same thing with you having these three mandatory cardio days in there, maybe it's not, you know, making a huge difference in terms of like the scale, but at 20 minutes, if you're doing it at like a decent pace, you're getting close to that, like 2000 steps, we'll say. So you're adding an extra 2000 steps a day, not going to be huge on the scale, but what it does, I think, especially if it's early in the morning, you've kind of started your day on the right tone for your day, You set the tone. Or if it's late at the evening, you know, if it's just 20 minutes, you're not in prep, you're just doing it to get some steps in, you're winding down at the end of your day, finishing up emails, you know, doing whatever you need to do. And you kind of have that exactly. after like, and that's my thing is like with work and everything being stressful. If I can lift here from, you know, seven 30 to eight 30, mm-hmm. go to the gym from eight 30 to nine, nine 15 and just get 20, 30 minutes of cardio after I'm just like, I can, I'm good. My day's over. You know, I can relax. That's fair. I always thought that like evening cardio, if I could get it correctly, it was always kind of therapeutic for me because I work with, uh, I'm with the public all day and right. I'm constantly having dialogue with somebody about something. So by the time I get over there, usually it'd be at like Planet Fitness because it's like, you know, a mile away from my apartment and very few people over there know me personally well enough to come and have a conversation so I can walk for my, you know, 15, 20 minutes and start to kind of like dwindle down. Right. And, it's you, Tom. Yes. Like, like I was talking about a few weeks back, that's time for just you clear your head. Get ready to go home and crash. I like it. So let's talk about weight training. Some of the benefits, um, some of the drawbacks. I'm going to start by asking Joe, what do you think is a potential drawback of weight training? I mean, honestly, I mean, that's a tough question. I know. And I, you know, That's I'm, why I ask it. Because I, when I look at that, I'm like, I have to kind of think about what I think is a drawback. I think that if you had to say like a drawback, they're all in like when you get into like extremes yeah, excessive that's okay that's what i was gonna it think. would be the that would be the only thing i could think of if someone's like sacrificing time with their family or if it's like becoming something they're obsessing over or just abusing peds to the point that sure. their health is trash i would say 99.9 percent of the population adding in some weight training some resistance exercise is going to benefit you yeah and only benefit you only so i think this is something that is becoming more common in today's age. Like, you know, I remember seeing like ads for like, it was something I'd seen on TikTok. It was like some exercise equipment for women in like the seventies. And it was like a, it was the most like, it was like the ab twister where the ab coaster is what it was called. So you're like holding with your hands and you're leaning down and you're basically just twisting your core and just hitting your obliques and you can add weight to it. So your only, only thing you're going to do is thicken your obliques and make your waist wider. If you're a woman, so some of those ads are completely junk. Sure. But I mean, that's also, you know, 40, 50 years ago. So how much we've learned, how much we've changed since then. But I agree with you. I think like when you go to the extremes with anything like, and and it's this way with anything, like if you go to extremes with your career and you're cutting people off and cutting friends off, that's where it becomes a problem. That's kind of how I see weightlifting as well outside of injuries. Um, which if you're just doing things with stupid form and not, you know, not learning how to do things right, I think that is one of the downfalls of weightlifting. If you think you can lift more than you 
probably can with proper form and you try to do it with bad form and get hurt. I see that often, but like you said, most of the time it's a benefit. I think that just comes down to like self-awareness. Like we've talked about in previous episodes, I see a lot of guys come into the gym for the first time and don't get me wrong. Like I said, I love that everyone's trying to get in there and be active, but and this isn't a plug to say, oh, you need to hire a coach, like, you know, for whatever reason. It can be dangerous to do free weight training if you have no idea what you're, you know, what you're doing and you're someone that's, you know, wants New. to push themselves. Like, if you come in there and you're like, okay, this is what I've seen, this is what I know, let me try this, see how it goes. Fine. I see a lot of, especially younger guys, they're like, okay, I've been taught how to squat, bench, deadlift at football practice. I can do it all. They showed me at one time I can go in there and I can make it happen. Right. So then they're just like, okay, add weight, add weight, add weight. And you see a lot of injuries come up. So I get so many people that come up to me and they're like, yeah, I got a football injury in high school and I've never, never quite recovered from it. Well, it's because they didn't change their training style to adapt to that injury and let it recover. A lot of times, you know, most people... Gosh, there's so many people that went to the gym back when I used to go to public gyms that would have these little nagging injuries that would just keep training through them, keep training through them, keep training through them. And eventually they go see a, you know, a physician and the physician's like, well, had you stopped and came to me and before you kept training, this is something we probably could have fixed, but you keep pushing the body to the extreme, the extreme, the extreme. And, you know, I think that's one of the downsides of weightlifting is it makes people want to push their bodies to the extreme. I don't think that's necessarily on weightlifting. I think that's on the individual. Absolutely. At that point. Well, I mean, workout intensity is something that we could dive into like in, in great detail. I think that, and we've kind of covered this before when we were talking about people over-sciencing weight training. I think that understanding what your goals are and like what's going to get you there is important. I think that... If you go in there and you just go through the motions, like you go, you hit your three sets of eight to 12, it's the same weight, it's the same routine every time, you're not going to see much progress after that initial like, okay, now you've like stimulated muscle for the first time, you see some of your first cuts. Right, right. but then you hit a plateau. Absolutely. Because you're doing the same things over and over and over with the same intensity. I always try to start everyone out in what I call is a mechanical phase. And that's kind of been passed down to me from my coach, Tyler. Um, and what the mechanical phase is, it is lowering the weight, doing things with the right form, slow eccentric motions. And you'll do, you know, three sets of eight to 10, three sets of 10 to 12. And instead of that, just being, okay, I got to 10 less racket. Or, okay. I got to 12 less racket. I ride in the training. This should start to really suck at about six to seven reps. If it's not sucking there, that's not enough weight. Sure. And then you start pushing rep eight, rep eight, nine, 10, 11. And if you can't get any more after 11, you're done. But you know, that's kind of the science of progressive overload. Sure. And, and I think that's what a lot of people struggle with is establishing the true meaning of progressive overload. Sure. Like, Sure, you can go up a little bit of weight every week, but are you using the same form? Are you using the same, you know, exact form, the exact timing? So are you truly progressing? And, and that's kind of how I try to challenge people that start with me initially. I like that. And I usually ask that a lot of my clients send me videos of their like top sets on some of their compound lists. And, you know, at that point, we're not really thinking of them as like 
top sets, you know, like you said, we're talking about like introducing them to the eccentric motions and yeah. the importance of it. Talking about range of motion, which is something that I feel like, you know, deserves. Its we own. should dive into. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But like the first time you explain to somebody like, okay, I want you to do a three second negative on everything. You're going to have to drop the weight for it. So they do it. They realize, okay, this is a lot more challenging. You get them right. used to that form. But a question that I get a lot of time is like, Say so I send somebody a plan they've never worked at before. They're like, okay, so, but like you didn't put the weights on here. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, and that's another thing that you can do like before a set is be like, do two to three warm up sets, find your working set. Sure. So, and I do this myself a lot because depending upon how hard my day is at work, how tired I am, my weights may change dramatically from oh, week absolutely. to week. I know if I'm at my best. I can put between 275 and 315 on Smith Machine Incline and get X amount of reps. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, it, some, for example, last week, super stressful week, super, super tired, just really struggling, but I made myself get out here and lift. I think my first set, working set, which is normally 275 on Smith Machine Incline, was 245. And, you know, once I got going, got some adrenaline going, I was able to go up. But, like, you need to establish where that first set is. And you, the first set should be a struggle. You shouldn't just be repping it out and then racking it. Let that be kind of a, I think that's a cool little point just to mention to people who are a little bit new to the gym setting is that some days your body's not going to be, you're not going to be like straight line progressing. Every right. Time. You're going to have bad days. And I think that's more of an, it shouldn't be an advanced technique because at that point it's, it should be common sense. Okay. So some days it's not going to be, I'm not going to be a hundred percent take a set or two to figure out where you're at, but don't let it discourage yeah, you. Don't let it discourage you. Like the other day, I, like I said, my first set was with 245, which is usually 275 on Smith machine sure. incline, which sounds like a great deal of weight to some of you people, but I'm used to being able to get 315 for six to eight on Smith machine incline. So for me, I'm also in a cut where I'm weaker for me. Like I could have completely let that get me down. I could be like, Oh man, I'm done. I'm done for the day. But instead mm -hmm. I was like, all right, I'm going to bust out this set of 245. but you can bet after that I'm going for 275. And I did. And a lot of it's just keep pushing yourself through the set, fill the weight, control the weight. And if you can't go up yet, that's fine. But if you can go up, I think it's important too. If you've got something like if you're experiencing some like excess, excess soreness, you've got some like nagging injuries. Maybe you're like really deep into a depletion phase or a, like a cut you know you don't know exactly where your body's at you don't know if something's going to be i'll give the example of when i came out of prep we reintroduced a flat barbell bench yes and i was like i don't feel comfortable enough because I, I still felt like almost too lean i remember thinking like i would never felt a contraction like that on a barbell bench before and to me i was like am i like i feel like i'm about to tear my pack so i was like okay i'm not gonna go over like yeah 185 or something like that until i feel like i've got the calories in that right. build back up to support it and, and like you said earlier this is about self-awareness sure. so like after prep i know at the end of prep, for some reason, I'm always pretty strong on flat bench. I know I can, I think I was like two or three weeks out last time and I put 225 on and I did it like 30 times for no reason. That's it insane. was just stupid. I was just doing it because I could do it because my dad was there and said I couldn't, you know, and then for some reason after a show, the next few weeks, I'm in the exact same situation you were where I feel tight. I feel like I'm just so susceptible to injuries because I'm reintroducing all this food from such a depleted state. 
let's dive into talking about range of motion a little bit now. I know we had talked about it for a second there. So two things I see with range of motion. You see, it, I think it's dependent on what your goals are and what you've kind of been like raised on in the gym community. So from a powerlifting setting, I see a lot of guys that like if they see someone not hit like full range of motion as far as like they're not locking out on their shoulder press they're not locking right. out on their like you know tricep extensions or whatever that to them they're like you're half repping you're cheating the rep and then well there you, are benefits to that though for bodybuilding exactly that's what i was getting at so then you look at it from a bodybuilder's perspective i'm like so i'm doing like a rope tricep extension i'm not quite locking all the way out twisting at the very bottom you know making sure i'm really hitting that with my elbow because i'm trying to keep a little bit of tension on the tricep the entire time just kind of keep that blood in the muscle right same thing with i see guys on a shoulder press versus like you know instead of like locking all the way out because like when you think about it so say you lock all the way out on like an overhead press and the dumbbells are hitting up top you're taking tension off your shoulders exactly too. it's going and straight a lot of down people your think form. you have to slam the dumbbells together up top when in reality you don't i mean control the weight converge them a little a little at the top and they don't realistically have to even touch versus on like a a, a barbell bench press i do always kind of preach touch your chest absolutely unless you have a realistic injury not just that you're weaker on barbell flat bench than someone who's doing it with you that's not a realistic injury touch your chest control the weight touch the chest right at the nipple line or right below elbows kind of in and push it off your chest um you know you got so many people that will stop you know four or five inches before their chest and count that as a bench press and that's just not realistic and there's nothing to be embarrassed about because I was in the same situation for the longest time. I would try to stop it a couple inches above my chest. And I thought that was great, but I've gotten so much stronger and my chest has developed a lot better just by doing full range motion. You think like an extra inch making that much of a difference. But I mean, you think about like you're essentially taking an entire muscle group out of the exercise by not touching. An inch can make a lot of difference, Joe. You're a child. No, but no, but like uh, for me, I've just gotten so much stronger and it may just be related to my control over the weight, but I'm saying guys stopping at four and five inches from their chest. Okay. Well, I just, uh, this point just literally popped into my head. Do you think that like, if you're saying limiting range of motions, okay to keep like tension under the, keep tension on the muscle. Do you think that Okay, we can count that on like the top part of the rep, say like the lockout versus like you should never cut the rep short at the bottom, like at the very like as you're switching from your eccentric. Yes, I think eccentric you should never cut short. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. So on tricep extensions, you may not be able to get the full concentric motion because you're just struggling you're right. at the end of your set. But you should always get the full eccentric stretch of that muscle. Sure. I do think that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I never really thought of it like that. But, but you can think like on every every thumb. exercise you do, though, like if you're doing hamstring curls, you want to get the full stretch. You want to feel like it's about to rip, rip loose from your glute. And then like towards the end of a set of failure, I may be doing quarter reps at the end, but Absolutely. I'm still making sure I get the full stretch. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great rule of thumb. For someone who's just starting on the eccentric motion, other words, the negative, the negative, Get the full range of motion there, even if you're not able to get the full range of motion on the concentric or the push or the pull or whatever the purpose of that exercise is. Last thing we're going to talk about in terms of workout intensities, we're going to talk about how you can adjust your training plan to kind of match the workout intensity that you're going for. I think that 
just like what we've been talking about already, just have some self-awareness in terms of like what your goals are. I guess if you're feeling like you're finishing your workouts, I think, well, we talked on a couple episodes that if you're able to train six or seven days a week, you're not training hard enough. Right. For an experienced lifter. Now, if you're just starting and you're just doing the three sets of eight, three sets of 10, and you're not really using any like timing cadences and you're not doing slow eccentrics or anything like that, and you're able to go six days a week, that's fine. But if you're an advanced lifter and you're pushing your body to the limits each time, four to five is is plenty. I feel like at the end of each workout or like the day after each workout, you should feel some general like we talk about, you know, getting a pump or something like that. But you should feel like some general like tightness. You should feel like that muscle's been worked. And if you feel like you've walked out and you remember seeing guys who would say like, oh, I'm hitting two workouts a day. If you're working at twice a day, I don't care how experienced you are. You're not getting enough for your body and you're an idiot i mean yeah like at that point it's just i think that's those are the guys that just like want to just like hang out at the gym all day you know what i'm saying like they're just like yeah this that's their like social hour and now they chatty kathy's yeah they just or chatty pats if you will if you will thank you pat frederick (laughs) yeah so i mean and, and another thing with recovery like not working out every day and then we talked about before implementing active recovery days is another way so if you're just neurotic about training or doing something physical every day, and I, I see a lot of people that get that way. It's usually people who are in a really big transformation, someone who's losing a lot of weight quickly. They become obsessed with the process, so they want to do something every day towards their goal. Therefore, they end up taking no rest days. Um, you know, go for, a, go for a 20, 30 minute light walk. It doesn't have to be, you know, balls to the wall every day because you do need to recover. I think that's a good kind of segue into our next topic we're going to talk a little bit about recovery today so obviously we're talking about the importance of recovery and we've talked about this ad nauseum before when we've mentioned cortisol and like rest and sleep and this that and the other but just as kind of a broad brush talking about recovery if you are specifically if you're weight training consistently if you are in there every day and you're breaking down these muscles and you're not giving them giving them the sleep and the recovery that they need, you stay in a state of recovery and you never allow those muscles to grow. You don't grow when you're training. You grow when you're resting, recovering, getting proper nutrition and sleeping well. Um, and that's what I try to tell everyone. You don't need to be in the gym three to four hours a day to grow. 45 minutes to an hour workout is plenty enough to break down the muscle tissue to a point where you can implement food supplementation and recovery to grow. Absolutely. I think this is something that you need to be conscious of depending on like what phase you're in, in your, like, you know, your journey. If you're someone that's been in a deficit for six months or so, probably, right. you know, rest and recovery becomes much more of a point of emphasis, an area of emphasis. I know like the last month of prep, I only want to sleep like all the time. Right. It's like, you I feel like sleeping all the time. Exactly. I feel like I can't get enough of it. So, you know, there's those couple of days where I had to like wake up early for class or this, that, or the other, wake up early for work, staying up late and you feel it. You feel like, you know, you're already in that steep deficit and now you're dealing with not being able to get the proper recovery you need. Now it's your general soreness. Your like general tightness has went from that to it's like, okay, now I'm like, I'm having a, like hard time walking after this right. late day. So things of that nature, but 
like I said, I think this is just something that people need to like pay attention to. If you're someone who's been in a growth phase for an extended period of time, maybe you can get away with being a little bit more uh, lackadaisical with your sleep schedule. Right. Versus someone in a deficit. You definitely need to be resting if you're in a deficit. So and I, I was um, actually going to refer to a video I saw the other day. It was Chris Bumstead talking with someone. He was talking about how he has to decrease training volume and frequency based upon how his body's responding. <clears throat> so for those that don't know, Bumstead has an autoimmune disorder of his kidneys. Therefore, his cortisol levels have a tendency to probably get higher than most people's due to an autoimmune disorder. So he can basically, you know, kind of read his body and where he's at and where he's feeling and adjust his training to that. And and that's true self-awareness sure. in my eyes. And I mean, obviously you talk about like a good standard to follow like multiple time, Mr. Olympia, if he has the, you know, if he can say, Oh, I only need to train three days a week. I think it's kind of, you know, I don't know what that says about us to think that, okay, like we need six days a week. Obviously right. there's if Mr. Olympia is training four to five days a week and it works for him. It's going to work for you. Exactly. We talk a lot about like the way that nutrition plays into your recovery. And Derek and I had this conversation I can't remember how long ago we was talking about just um, the importance of protein in your diet. And I have several clients that come to me. Usually it's it's a lot of my female clients for whatever reason. And I'm like, okay, like kind of this is me talking about like meeting you where you're at. I'll talk to him. I'm saying like, okay, what are you eating right now in a day? And it's like, okay, well, in the mornings I like to go get me like coffee and a bagel okay and then for lunch they'll have their like you know like a wrap or something like that and there's like you know maybe 10 to 15 grams of protein in it after like i said we're sitting at like zero from breakfast and then right. for dinner they're having like some like maybe a, a salad or something like that they're trying to like cut weight or something like i don't know just something that's but or they're, pasta in that's reality, like, they're, they're falling so short on their protein goals exactly and protein is the most satiating of the macronutrients the more protein you have, the longer you will feel full. Sure. Um, and I preach that to people all the time. And they're like, why do you have me starting on so much protein? I'm like, you'll see when you're not hungry. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I start people pretty high on protein. And if they have GI issues, we can always pull it back down. Sure. Um, those will go away as you, you know, lower the protein as well. Um, do you see a lot of your clients that come to you with low to no protein diets such as let's say a vegetarian diet see i've only had one vegetarian client in my you know three plus years now and i remember thinking this is a nightmare like this was hard like trying to find protein sources for them was going to be a real struggle it was something that we were able to like work up to and i think i ended up getting her close to Close to ninety to a hundred grams that's of protein, solid. which was a was, it was a, a female. Fight. It was a female. That's solid for a female that's eating a vegetarian diet. Well, we were talking about like, you know, you say you can always start people too high on protein and bring them back down. That's the approach that I've taken with most of my clients. Every now and then, if I get someone who's like used to, you know, kind of eating, like I always joke, you know, like talk about like eating like a bird, like you just nibble around yeah. kind of thing here and there. Then I always. I'm really conscious, especially with women. I 
if you start slamming a lot of protein, you don't have yep. it and you're not super active and you're not doing all these other things, you're going to see a lot of bloating. And that's just because it takes a lot longer for that protein to digest and you know, it'll kind of sit in your stomach a little bit longer. And a lot of times it freaks these girls out. Yeah. So, so a lot of times I'll start them at like maybe half a gram per pound of body weight, which is fine. And then you titrate them up from there. As exactly. Yeah. So there are some options though, for people that are eating a vegetarian diet that, need to get some protein in you know there's green peas um beans nutritional yeast is also one and there's all kinds of different lentils that are you know good sources of protein as well so there are ways to do it um i just feel like that's a lot harder and gets super complicated you know on our end of like what to put where you know if you have them eating a ton of beans you're also going to have a ton of fiber and carbs you know so that can also cause some GI upset if you have too many carbs as well, too many, too much fiber as well. Man, I get so many people that come to me and they're like just interested in these like, I guess vegetarians not really a fad diet as much, but like they they'll come to me and it's even people that have been on plans with me for an extended period of time and they're like, I know that I've dropped you know twenty pounds in four months with you doing this like really sustainable diet, but like man, keto sounds. Doesn't that sound crazy? I feel like I can get shredded on it. I'm just like, I don't know. I think that aside from it just being like hard to hit macronutrient goals on these like really restrictive fad diets or whatever else, unless this is something that I would almost say like this is something that like I see people turn vegan a lot because of like, you know, social issues. I see, you know, people go vegetarian because of, you know, maybe it's like a religion, something like that. If this isn't something that's just like deep rooted in your person, I, I, tend to tell people i'll try and talk them off of it like not yeah, away from keto and fad diets exactly. no joke because you can get there by knowing what to eat when to eat it and the moderation of how to eat it i mean you can get there realistically we talk about satiety i think it was derek that mentioned earlier talking about taking like appetite suppressants or things that will like mask that hunger if you're in a steep deficit we talk about like i said the satiety of protein you won't need something like that you will feel so full i have so many clients that they'll finish their first week and they're like but are you sure i'm gonna lose weight on this man yes something we're sure yeah this is so yeah i i have a lot of patients that love their appetite suppressants and I try to talk them off of them because I'm like, you know, it's not good to have that strong of a stimulant in your body all the time. It's okay. it's going to raise your blood pressure. And then coming off of it, you can also have withdrawal because it is somewhat of an addictive substance. When I refer to medicines like Adipex or Fenteramine, which is generic Adipex, they are somewhat addictive. So coming off of them is not always fun. So one question that everyone has is, I guess I just don't need to eat anymore, right? I mean, no, you need to increase your protein dramatically. So if you've been taking something that's suppressing your hunger for a year and you stop it, what happens? That hunger comes back in waves with a vengeance. Now you don't know how to manage it. Yes. And and you've been managing it artificially or chemically Mm -hmm. for the past year. That's kind of hard. This is where you start to see a lot of like binging disorders start to take place. It's mm-hmm. just a big thing that you'll see us talk about on here is just trying to avoid going to extremes on anything. We've talked about, you know, when we're talking about steroids, when we're talking about these different diets, whatever the type of training, just because a little bit worse doesn't mean that a lot is going to magnify that progress. 
Take it day by day. This is such a long, drawn-out process with whatever your goals are. I remember hearing the quote once before, and I say it to a lot of my clients, you didn't get to where you are overnight, and you're not going to get to where you want to be overnight. Right. This is a process. I try to tell everyone it's not a six-month process. It's not an eight-month process. This is a lifetime process. This is no longer just a fad. This is something you have to work towards every day. It's not, you're going to screw up. I screw up. Joe screws up. Derek screws up. We all screw up, but this is something that you get better at every day. The more you practice it, the more you learn, the better you'll become. Um, and the closer you'll get to those goals. So for our last topic, we're going to kind of dive into a little bit about gut health. Um, some supplementation we recommend for gut health for those that suffer from, you know, IBS, constant bloating, gas, just discomfort, reflux, um, there's a ton of medication out there for these things, but there are also some supplements that you can go to Walmart and buy to kind of help improve these issues as well. First off, I'd just like to start by saying, Joe, what are some gut supplements that you recommend for your clients? So something that you stuck me on in prep and that I've been using ever since was just like supplementing in apple cider vinegar. It's helped a lot with my digestion just throughout the day. I began taking through clinical labs, they offer a digestion aid and the glucose disposal agent. Both yeah, of shout out clinical labs. You guys have great products. Absolutely. Absolutely. So those are always a staple part of my diet. A lot of what I've been able to do over this last like year or so has just been finding a way to hit all my goals through just my diet. But I think that comes with just trial and error. A lot of the times it's just finding like what works best for you and learning what foods to cut away from i've tried to get right. myself to be is what foods you need to avoid like you have to learn what gives you these symptoms and then kind of just stay away from that and you know back to the apple cider vinegar thing you mentioned apple cider vinegar is kind of proven to relieve indigestion and nausea um, for me it helps me with reflux i know like if i'm in prep i'm usually for some reason in prep i have reflux a lot i don't know if it's just from stress or just all of the physical brutality I'm putting my body through, but I always have reflux in prep. If I miss my apple cider vinegar versus if I take it with, you know, a greens powder, um, I'm so much better. Um, so yeah, another thing I recommend is like digestive enzymes as well. And you can just go to Amazon and buy it's the brand is called Zenwise digestive enzymes and they are great. Another problem in prep is constipation that really helps kind of relieve all those symptoms for me. Is there a specific type of greens powder that you recommend, like above all else? Like I, I get a lot of questions from, uh, I know TJ's wife has came to me probably several times. She's been researching kind of different types of gut health for the last, I don't know, several months, it seems like. And I know she's came to me about uh, several different products, but is there like a specific brand that you think that you would recommend? Man, not really. Not a specific brand. The two brands I usually use are just regular Amazing Grass from Walmart and then they're they're pretty affordable. God, they taste and terrible. And uh Revive MD out of Florida, it's Bumstead's company that yeah, he works yeah, with yeah. through Raw. They have one that's called just Daily Greens mm -hmm. and it comes in a capsule. 3 capsules a day equals like one total scoop of greens and it's pretty excellent. It works really well. They also have the powder which is comes in a uh, there's one that's in a coffee flavor and one that's a berry flavor. Do not get the coffee flavor, get the berry flavor. Berry flavor with a squirt of lemon juice, two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, and about eight ounces of water is actually enjoyable. It's not that bad. To the dome. 
Um, also recommend glutamine for anyone struggling with gut health. Glutamine, glutamine, glutamine. Even people that have IBS, IBD, constant bloating, gas. Glutamine is like a go-to supplement for me. And it works because it actually helps inhibit pro-inflammatory processes. So it blocks inflammation in the gut. Therefore, just allowing for better digestion, less gas, less bloating. So I use that pretty much daily. A lot of times in prep, I'll use it twice daily. I'll use it in my morning shake and then in my intro workout as well. Because it also helps with soreness and recovery too. So it, that that's one supplement that I recommend for everyone. Absolutely. I remember seeing you supplement it or add it in like with your, uh, I believe you put it in your jug like when you're coming in. It's like an intro mm-hmm. workout too. Yeah, just make always. sure you're just getting it in. But yep, 10 grams of glutamine a day for me in prep. And then outside of prep, I do five grams of glutamine every day religiously. And I, I before that, I was actually on um, omeprazole or Prilosec. Had to take that every day for my reflux. And with glutamine, I can completely stop it. It's it's really actually very impressive. No kidding. Well, just kind of working away from the supplementation was quick hitters. What are some foods that you know will like kill your GI that's, you know, something like just you specifically that you stay away from or you tell clients to stay away from? I can think of several. I remember at the very beginning of the episode, we were talking about like putting parameters on cheat meals. Literally the only thing that I say, I'm like, enjoy whatever you want. Like check with me first. Mostly everything's okay. Pizza is going to take a long time to digest. It's just a lot of fat, a lot of grease. So I'd say, you know, talk to me about it. We can maybe kind of find the way to work around it. Alcohol obviously is going to screw up. And then obviously anything that's super deep fried is going to take, is going to be a lot harder on your. So one one thing I know that I personally try to avoid in my cheat meals is like artificial sweeteners. Certain artificial sweeteners really bother my stomach. Like for example, like Lenny and Larry's cookies. I've told you about this before. Anytime I eat a Lenny and Larry's cookie, they're great. They're fantastic. I love you guys. If you want to sponsor us, even though I'm saying bad things, we will love that. But we'll stop saying bad things. For some reason, every time I eat that, if it's the first thing I eat in the morning, which it usually is because most of the time if I'm running behind, it's a I'll, quick snack. Yeah, it's a quick snack. It's four bucks at the gas station. It's worth it every time. Inflation. But every time I eat that, say I eat it at eight, by three thirty or four, I can almost like it's clockwork i will have an upset stomach growling churning just discomfort and i don't know what's in it that bothers me but that's one thing that really bothers me that a lot of candies you know simple sugars for some reason always make me feel like the simple sugars do well like if it's a lot of candy like just straight sugar like that's simple uh, carbs yeah. yeah Or gummy worms. If I eat too much gummy worms, stuff like that. Even though I love it, I think it's all because it's just so processed. Yeah, like, yeah, this is not like you're not finding a gummy worm. Right. Yeah, in and by simple sugars, I guess I meant processed sugars. Sure. Whereas, like, you know, if you're eating a handful of blueberries, you're getting simple sugars and quick carbs, but it's not processed. Right. It's just from nature. It's sure. good. It's good. I mean, I talk to a lot of clients about artificial sweeteners and kind of like how to like limit. Listen, I am a slut for a diet coke. Oh bring, yeah, bring it to me. Like, oh, like pour it down my neck. Here for it. On pre- like my first prep, diet sodas were my like lifesaver because I've never had much of a sweet tooth. But whenever it was just like completely restricted, it was no longer an option. 
it would be like I'd be laying in bed and I was just like, I just, I just want something, just anything. And I'd go in there and like smash a two liter of diet coke. A two liter. Oh, bro, I'm telling you, to the dome. I just take it to the head and then just feel absolutely miserable and wake up just a ball of gas. Yeah, and like, miserable. That's what I'm saying. Stomach churning. It'd be like Thursday morning. So then I'm like, okay, I got to do like 55 extra minutes of cardio to get this gas out of me before Aaron sees me and scolds me. <laughs> so yeah, contrary to that, like I know we talk about bad foods for gut health. There's also a lot of good foods for gut health. You're talking like it's kind of a pre, you know, pre bloating. Like okay, I've like I'm before like is something you could have at any point, or this is something like you've oh, this already, is gonna be something you can eat at any point. I'm saying like is this more of like you know good for gut health? Is like okay, I'm already like experiencing some bloating. I'm experiencing some GI. This is like a treatment. Or, oh no no, this is more of like a. Before you have these issues, these are things you can add oh, okay. that help. Um, Greek yogurt is one. It has mm-hmm. a lot of good bacteria for your microbiome in there. And I don't want to go in all the names. I don't even know if I know all the names. But has a lot of really good bacteria for your gut, for the, the flora in your gut. Sauerkraut is one that a lot of people really eat. Because um, it is kind of, it's kind of fermented, I think. Which provides a lot of really good bacteria I love sauerkraut. It's something I could eat it all the time. You never had my memos. It's pro- it probably has sugar in it or something. I was about though. to say yeah, they probably spiked it with something. That's um, like- garlic is something that's great for gut health. I'm done there. I'm not listing these other ones because they suck. Take that out. That's right. <laughs> what is that? I was saying kimchi. I saw that on here. Yeah, but I didn't want to say it wrong. And kombucha. <laughs> yeah, that also. Kombucha is terrible. As a side note, that's just I've tried. Callie tried to put me onto it, and I tried like ten different flavors. And I was kombucha. Like, yeah. What does it taste like? There's a bunch of different ones. There was one that was like, like an orange one, and I was like, okay, this is just gonna be like an orange juice from a gut health. Cool. No, it was. I don't know how to describe it. Basically, it's a fermented tea. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Does okay. it have like alcohol in it? No. Oh. Probably Some a low degree, percentage. but not like. Hey, you have to be 21 to buy this. Okay. Kind of yeah. Thing. So it's fermented to a point that it's not like an alcoholic beverage, yeah. but that it has like natural. Yeah. You can buy it at Walmart. Floor. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it at Walmart. I've never tried it ever. I used to buy stuff like that whenever I'd have girls come over for the first time and I would just like stock my fridge and I'd be like, I am health. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before we go, just want to remind you all that you guys can follow us on Instagram at Muscles Medicine Podcast. That's at Muscles Medicine Podcast. Also, if you found this episode helpful, consider sharing it with your friends and family who might also benefit from it. Um, Please be sure to rate, subscribe, give us a comment. Let us know if you like this episode. Let us know what you want to hear. Also, we're having a guest in either the next episode or episode seven. So be ready for that. It's going to be a big surprise on who it is. Should be really interesting. Should also be very beneficial for women that are just starting fitness, women that have busy schedules, that have kids, that have a to-do list a mile long and are still trying to find time for their bodies. So I, I really look forward to that episode. Absolutely. Guys, we appreciate all the support that we've gotten these first couple of weeks. The amount of people that have come up to Aaron and I and said, They've listened to the podcast. They've really enjoyed the podcast. It's been tremendous. So we appreciate you guys. We put a lot of time and preparation into making this what this is. I wanted to give a quick little shout out to Derek for all that he's done with like the reels, the ads, this, that, and the other. Yeah, it's been great. It's been a huge help. Behind the scenes work, what Derek's been able to do, he's simplified this process for Aaron and I so much to where all we have to do really is just like, you know, read the like outline for the episode. And and then sit down and talk. And sit down and talk. It's It's been been super fun. 
Um, like we said, we really appreciate you guys, and you'll hear from us again next Monday. Let's get it. See ya.